0: This is Daniel Fajella, and you're listening to the AI in Business podcast. In this episode, we're going to be talking about building AI products for the enterprise, which for any of you who have been tuned in for a while know is not easy. To be able to build an AI product that delivers a meaningful business result is one thing. To be able to deploy that with existing IT systems is quite challenging to have to retrain staff, to understand existing workflows. And that's going to be the focus of this week's episode. Some of the most exciting facets of our own research work here at Emerge when it comes to our work with large enterprise clients is around understanding the build to buy ratios for different kinds of AI applications. It's interesting to see if you look within let's say banking or let's say life sciences, what kinds of applications, maybe drug development, maybe payment fraud detection are being acquired primarily from outside vendor providers and which are actually being built in house by the companies themselves. Sometimes there are AI application areas where really the company understands their own unique, nuanced needs at such a deeper level than any vendor could, that they have to build it in-house. So, for this episode, whether you're a vendor selling into big enterprises or whether you work within an enterprise and you're thinking about build buy decisions, you want to stay tuned all the way through. Our guest this week is Saurabh Suri. He is the CIO and managing partner at Caracap Ventures. I mean, he goes deep on what he's seen work and not work across his portfolio of AI investments when it comes to their interface with the enterprise. If you'd like to learn more about what we do here at Emerge, including how we balance and understand the build-buy ratios across different business categories of AI applications in major sectors, you can learn more at emerj.com slash AIOL. That's AI Opportunity Landscape. That's our core research service here at Emerge. That's emerj.com AIOL, and you can learn more there. Without further ado, we're going to roll right in. This is Saurabh Suri, managing partner at Caracap Ventures here on the AI and Business Podcast. So Saurabh, I wanted to start us off by asking about what you consider to be the biggest success factors when it comes to building AI products for the enterprise. Adoption is obviously very hard. What happens when it's done right? Right. And Dan, that's probably one of the most oft asked questions around. And in
1: my role, especially on the venture capital side, we have a lot of conversations with people on both sides, which is the enterprise leaders and the CIOs, if you would, are trying to adopt AI into the enterprise and take it off. And the startup CEOs who are building these products for the enterprise. Right. And, and looking at that, when we, look at the success factors, I can pretty much break it down into the first and most important one being domain, domain, domain. Now, what does that mean? It's the domain and understanding the nuances that come around with it, right? Companies and startups uh, that can demonstrate a strong domain understanding and clearly articulate the problem they're solving tend to have the biggest success when building these products for the enterprise. There's a funny example I often use, and that's the word phlegm, right? Um, Especially when somebody's building products around NLP. Now, the word phlegm has a very different connotation in retail (laughs) as it does in healthcare, right? In retail, you have a problem, in healthcare, that's a symptom. And that's a slight oversimplification, of course, but as you're building these products for the enterprise, that domain and the understanding of the nuances with the domain is really one of the critical success factors. The second is looking at outcomes and not the tech or the process, right? There's a huge difference between, let's say, a company saying that they would leverage AI to help with customer acquisition, You know, as, as many do say versus saying that hey mr cio i will increase your overall customer acquisition by x percent and reduce your cost by y percent and that's the difference of focusing on the outcomes right and the companies that do their research and build the products whether it's internally or buying something externally focused on that outcome really win right and the last and final thing i'll I'll go on is the integration and the deployment which is ai products that are built with business users in mind right i've seen always have the biggest adoption across the industry right unfortunately seen too many technologies and amazing ai products completely fail because they were just too complicated to use so really those three things if you come down to it it's domain outcome and ease of use are the way we look at it in terms of the biggest uh, success factors.
0: Got it. Okay. Yeah. And and so uh, let's poke into these themes. These are great places to start. I think domain is a really interesting one because, you know, you can see so many AI startups that, you know, they'll raise all the way up to 20 million bucks with, you know, a homepage that the solutions tab has 15 things in it. You know, maybe that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but it'll have eight different things and six different industries. You know what I mean? And then in order for those companies to raise 50 mil, they normally boil that down to maybe two industries. And then if they don't go out of business, oftentimes, it's only going to be one. So it's weird that they have to start so broad. Is that just a consequence of this tech being nascent? Is that a consequence of AI being hot? And so even people without a great focus can sometimes raise money. Why do we see so much of that? So there are a couple of reasons around that. But the one that I look at in working with
1: a lot of these startup CEOs and these amazing entrepreneurs is I think sometimes they make the mistake of focusing on the most visible and not the most valuable use cases, right? And it's a little bit of, okay, these are five or six most visible use cases across the industry. Let me just throw a lot of them on a wall and see what sticks. And they often fall into that trap because as they, train their engines as they put in the right kind of deep learning, et cetera, because they've gone so broad, they're never able to get to that point of outcome or or the point of focus. So that's one side of the coin. The other side is, yes, you're absolutely right. Sometimes you have to look and sound way cooler by saying, I can solve the world's problems by amazing algorithms and platforms and deep learning, continuous learning, whatever it be. And it's a combination of those two, and and, and a lot of CEOs fall under that trap. But I loved what you said, that when they move on into their Series B or their Series C, they actually get penalized for that. You get penalized for trying to be everything for everybody as opposed to being that one thing that solves that one problem completely.
0: Yeah, to find find a domain, like you said. You you, you said it three times. You said like domain, domain, domain. And I, I think those of us who want to see these products mature, I think really long to see more of that. For you, does that require a combination of beginning with the right founders and team members that get a domain? Or does it often start with just people who are good generalists who get the tech And then who throw themselves at a couple spaces and really find what sticks. In other words, do you you see that steering of domain, domain, domain begin with foundership and initial skill sets? Or do you see it with people developing laser focus after getting a team together? Or is it pretty even, 50-50? It's pretty, I'd say there's more of entrepreneurs who get the tech
1: and then approach the domain than the other. Just a personal preference. I'd like to see it the other way around. I mean, we love working with entrepreneurs who've been in a domain long enough, who understand the nuances and then who want to break that down. Well, we love seeing that because they come in with a very different focus. They come in with a very different approach as well. However, I I have been fortunate enough to back some very successful entrepreneurs who came from outside the domain. And that actually was a bit of an advantage because, you know, they came with a clean slate and tried to break that apart, but they focused on that one problem, right? That being the key, I don't really care which side you come from. Well, I do care a little bit. I I, I like the people who come (laughs) from the inside out, but that's just a personal preference. I've I've seen it work the other way extremely well as well. So it doesn't matter which way you approach it, but as long as you can focus and really uh, solve that one problem and find that right problem, don't find the most visible problem, but find the most valuable problem, right? I had this great entrepreneur who said the best way to build a billion dollar company is find a hundred billion dollar problem and just take 1% market share. Really great like way to think a, about a great it. That's a,
0: approach. That is a wonderful thought experiment. That is just a wonderful thought experiment. So it, and it's, it's tough to do that in the hurly-burly of trying to get AI to stick in the enterprise. But if you can, I guess that's probably the low-hanging fruit way to reach a billion-dollar company if one could even say such a thing. Last little question on this sort of domain-specific area here. Do you believe that the key to making this work is purely interacting with customers a lot i mean you made a really important distinction not the most visible problem the most valuable problem that's really hard to distinguish because if a problem isn't visible enough then you can't really use it as your value prop to sell because people don't even realize it's a problem how do you find that middle ground between visible and valuable in this kind of rough and tumble startup world
1: really the the answer to that is conversation constant conversation and immersion, if I might add. So constantly talking to customers and immersing yourself into the domain and the problems will spark one of the most valuable use cases as opposed to the most visible, right? And I've seen a lot of entrepreneurs do it in uh, uh, different ways, but the immersion within the problem set or that domain set tends to produce the best results. When I say immersion, um, I have this uh, amazing portfolio company um, which was using it's using deep learning and AI in uh, visual recognition in the food quality industry. And uh, the entrepreneur and the CEO actually went and sat in farms for over seven to eight months and went to quality testing uh, places, did that research, immersed herself in that for almost six to seven months before coming out, out and saying, this is the problem, and this is the problem I want to solve. Yeah. And lo and behold, one year since she uh, said that, this company is doesn't really have to do outbound sales anymore. They're getting inbound requests left, right, and center because they immerse themselves and they found that one problem, which is the most valuable problem to solve.
0: Yeah, so I like the, the shortcut or the, the short answer is conversation, and you also used immersion. I guess there's no there's no way around the necessity of that kind of deep dive, and hopefully you come up with a treasure there. You also mentioned talking about outcomes. Again, really, really, really challenging, because particularly with AI, in some use cases... It's really hard to measure, for example, enterprise search, like to find where it fits into a specific workflow and say like, we'll save X amount of time on this. Like if there aren't metrics that already measure that, then it it becomes tough to maybe sell to metrics. But you really emphasize the importance of outcomes. Talk a little bit about, I guess, how to have that mindset from the start, how to think through that lens from the get-go of building a product.
1: Right now again whether you're an entrepreneur trying to sell the product into an enterprise or you're an enterprise ceo trying to build a new product if you're not hitting you know what we call the ceo's cross which is revenue cost quality sustainability if you're not hitting that uh, or oh, sorry revenue cost quality and risk if you're not hitting that what impact are you really having right in terms of the outcome to actually drive to that if you can focus on one of these, or better still, all four of these core parameters, right? Revenue, cost, quality, risk. And engineer your product to provide and focus on the outcome against it. Your chances of success and adoption and uh, reaching that huge status as a company, as a product, et cetera, goes up exponentially. I completely get the problem of obscure metrics or metrics that don't even exist. But if you engineer it right from the start in a way that you're hitting, again, you want to hit one of these four metrics. Let's not overcomplicate it, right? If you're trying to hit one of these four metrics, how do you engineer the product to drive towards that? Now, even when you come about an enterprise search, absolutely very obscure. How do you measure productivity of search? Right. I've seen a few companies who, who've done a great job and they started with a specific problem in search, which is enterprise search for field sales folks. Can they provide the right data at the right time to the customer while they're sitting in front of them to increase the customer acquisition or close rate or something of the sort? There again, you're solving that one problem, and those companies tend to have a much higher viability for success than more generic ones behind it.
0: Yeah, and you know the, the, the shortcut that we see, and I hate to call it that, but in the enterprise search world as one random example we see that when we really have a hard time articulating roi in these really obscure use cases like you know like in mortgage everybody's used to search sucking they're just used to it nobody's like oh my goodness the time it takes like everybody's used to it it's not it's not really different and instead of selling to efficiency because they're not measuring the time now anyway and it's going to take a lot of time to integrate these systems and get them set up it's really complicated instead what they do is they shortcut it by selling to risk they kind of paint this this fearful fairy tale where they say they say imagine if this could help you unearth this little tiny bit of stuff that would help you with regulation you know they don't say it like this but here's what they mean I don't have ROI numbers for you I can't tell you how much money you're making I can't tell you how much money you save and you'll never measure it after the fact and you don't measure it now but you know what I'm gonna tell you that you'll be able to find the right kind of things that will keep the regulators from slapping your wrist and that's why you should give us a meeting and that th- we see that as like the You know, I hate to say it's like the cheesy answer because it works, like we see it working, but I see a lot of that. I don't know if you see people using these weird little shortcuts like that. Oh, absolutely. It's the fear-based sell, right?
1: Yeah. It always works to get through the door, but not always to close the deal. Yeah. uh One of the things that we use with a lot of our portfolio companies is we try and help them get that anchor client, okay? the anchor client is that first initial client that you know you sometimes do uh, heavily discount the work for them but actually work with them to measure out numbers so mortgage industry is a good example if i just take that right and you say yes people are used to doing it but if i start focusing and i get that anchor client and i start focusing on throughput right How many mortgages can I help you process with the 12 people you already have on board, as an example? Right. And if the answer is right now you're doing 5,000 a month, I don't even know if that's uh, in the right ballpark. Yeah. Who knows? knows, knows, You're doing 5,000 a month. Yeah. If I can get that up to 7,000 or 8,000, and I can actually, while I'm helping you do that, I can engineer my product towards it as well. And in return, I'm providing you this highly discounted uh, um, uh, amount to use my product, et cetera, et cetera. So that's where sometimes that anchor client becomes critical and sometimes even more critical than the revenue-based clients that you get uh, later on. And early stage companies can do that. You can't do that as a later stage company or a mid-stage company because then you just have a whole different set of problems you have to deal with. So that's why it's critical to focus and engineer not just your product, but your company around that mindset to build it sustainably. (sighs)
0: I think that's what everybody wants right everybody wants their pilots to turn into something so successful <laughs> with such a collaboration that they can actually track numbers but how does this stuff really work out right a lot of these pilots just flop flop so hard that you just break your teeth on the cement like flop really really hard because we can't access the data we might make a little bit of money, but it's just so hard to get the integration done. And even if we can, maybe they're not friendly enough with us to go ahead and do all this tracking and help us build a use case that we can brag about to the rest of the world. But I guess in an ideal world, what you're saying is you would get that. You, you get a good anchor client to sink in who really likes you, and they're happy to be able to kind of measure this success. And then you can leverage actual ROI numbers instead of just a fear story or just an excitement story.
1: Exactly, and I, I, I hate to tell you, Dan, but now now you see the reason why I prefer entrepreneurs who come inside out and outside in, because entrepreneurs who come from that domain already have the existing relationships and the understanding to land the right cl- kind of anchor client. Yeah. Again, I don't want to take it out uh, away from the uh, entrepreneurs who go outside in because some of them have done fabulous jobs, right, of, of landing that anchor client and building the right use case. But that's why we have a preponderance for the inside out guys who understand the domain, have that relationship and know the right kind of anchor to start off with. But more importantly, and you, you brought up a very good point, right? Even if I get an anchor, I'm going to hit so many roadblocks, so many issues, et cetera, with them. Maybe I can't communicate or whatever else. And that's where I've I've seen on some really, really good CEOs do that, that when they get the anchor client, they literally pack their bags and sit either outside or inside the offices till that POC isn't done. Because that first POC could almost mean make or break for that early stage company.
0: Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, Well, I I have so many more things we could fly into, but I'm wary of where we are on time. I'm going to end on a tiny question. I'll try to keep it brief. How would you translate some of these ideas that you've picked up in the startup world to the enterprise? In other words, you you talked about domain. You talked about focus on outcomes. Is there any little quick tidbits you'd like maybe business leaders to listen to if they want to be able to breathe those concepts into a bigger business?
1: Absolutely. And, and it, it's really funny because a lot of these con- uh, concepts uh, translate over. And I'll be honest with you, a lot of these concepts I learned the other way around, right? Hmm, Which yeah, is yeah, uh, yeah. been within uh, uh, the, the enterprise world and coming out. And there too, when I'm trying to sell my internal stakeholders, all of the internal business leaders in a large AI uh, move, I have to focus on the outcomes. Right. The chief marketing officer, the chief financial officer is not gonna understand that I've got, you know, this amazing deep learning capability and five guys I'm paying whatever half a million dollars a year in salary too. But what they are gonna understand is this is what I'm going to do. I'm gonna solve for customer acquisition. I'm gonna solve for procurement, etc. So focusing on that outcome for the business leaders is critical and not go down the trap of AI for AI's sake. The fundamentals hold true, and that's why they're called fundamentals, because they hold true whether you're a startup building for the enterprise world or an enterprise CIO building for the company. And having those measurable metrics against the success and managing stakeholders, that's the key, and it translates across the board
0: managing stakeholders well what we try to do with this show Saurabh is we try to educate the stakeholders so that they can be more easily managed because unless you have expectations about how this stuff works and what all the challenges are you really can't be managed you're going to be thinking all the wrong things and so hopefully for those of you who are tuned in we're all a little bit smarter by the end of this episode Saurabh I know where we are for time and I super respect your time so thank you for joining us here on AI and Industry today
1: Dan thank you very much
0: So that's all for this episode of the AI in Business podcast. As many of you know, a lot of my work here at Emerge involves flying around the world and speaking and also meeting with and interviewing experts in addition to servicing our clients. Not that long ago, about a month and a half back, I was in Paris for the OECD's launch of their AI Policy Observatory. And our episode, our bonus episode in just two days, is with the deputy CTO of the White House for technology policy. So Lynn Parker is gonna be our guest in two days for a special bonus episode here on the AI and Business Podcast. If you're interested in AI governance or balancing regulation between innovation and understanding what that looks like at a national level, this is going to be a really interesting peek into the U.S.'s AI priorities. If you are a vendor or you're a company that sells into the government for anything AI related, this will also be an interesting episode to stay tuned in for. So we've got a special bonus episode for you, which I recorded live at the OECD in Paris, uh, which is going to be live in two days. So be sure to stay tuned in for this Thursday. We've got an episode, and next Tuesday, we're going to boot back into our industry themes. We're going to be talking about the future of logistics and supply chain, which given all this crazy hubbub of the coronavirus is going to be, I think, more relevant than ever. So without further ado, we'll wrap this one up. I'll catch you next time on the AI and Business Podcast.